Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. This podcast is brought to you by Capture One Pro, the preferred imaging software of professional photographers due to the outstanding quality delivered straight from the camera. With powerful yet easy-to-use tools, you get extraordinary results in just a few edits. Download your free 30-day trial today and release the true potential of your raw images at CaptureOne.com. In this episode, we are joined with Tamara Like Camera Lackey. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us this week. I know it's been pretty hectic at WPPI, and you've got a lot going on. That's so, insane, but thank you very much for having me here. Absolutely. So for like the three people out there that don't know who you are, <laughs> give us give us a, a pitch on what you do and uh, what you do in the photography industry. So I am a portrait commercial and editorial photographer. I am based out of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I have been shooting professionally for 14 years. I photographed quite a bit before that, but it was all horrible. <laughs> Seriously, I've looked at the pictures. Um, and uh, I have an associate-based studio. So we have multiple associates who all focus in different areas. I have a full-time studio director um, who manages all the operations. We have a production manager who oversees a lot of the videos and tutorial activity. And um, it's not a huge business, but everyone's kind of got their part, and we outsource rather generously. <laughs> it sounds like a phenomenally busy business. It's a busy business. And how do you manage it all? Um, (laughs) I do get sleep. No, actually one of my major, uh, focus areas in terms of not just, uh, my life, but in education is trying to figure out how to like shut things off and that work life balance and, um, being as diligent as possible to respect the fact that you're alive and let's not race through it with our heads down, trying to get it all done. And so that actually matters a great deal to me. So I, that's part of why, you know, we have a lot of people doing a lot of things. Um, I would say I've become very good at giving up control. Uh, so that I yeah, can be living. Right. Yeah. So obviously you didn't go from shooting these terrible pictures several <laughs> I mean, years really ago rotten. to all of a sudden having this huge associate you know, uh, business and multiple businesses. What was your process? How, what, what clicked and changed for you? Um, so like a lot of people, I, uh, I had a baby. Mm-hmm. On purpose. <laughs> that's, a, and that's a key statement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was just obsessed with her amazing beauty and how ethereal and gorgeous she was. And I photographed her like crazy. And um, my desire to be a photographer was born out of how badly I was capturing what I could see. And so I wanted to get a lot better at it. And then once I did, and I photographed friends and families like a lot of other people would, um, I just kind of said, all right, I got my privilege license. I'm going to, I'm going to be a photographer. And I spent the next three years shooting seven to 10 portrait sessions a week, 45 weddings a year, um, nonstop editing, 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 basically doing it all. Um, and I'd hire an assistant to help me and then have them pick up the shoots I couldn't pick up. Then I'd have to hire another assistant to help me. And then I'd have them pick up, you know, and it was just this endless cycle for about three years when I finally was, you know, middle of the night editing again, um, thinking, this sucks. I hate photography. <laughs> like I hate this. And, uh, and it was just like that, that, you know, that lead when the phone rings and you think it might be an inquiry and you're hoping they just hang up so you don't have to talk to them. And, um, and at that stage it was going to be either I need to pull back and really structure a sound intelligent business here, or I need to quit because this is no longer enjoyable. What were some of the common mistakes looking back that y- you were making, whether it was technical or 
What what was it about your photography that you didn't like back then? Um, so specifically about my photography? Yeah. Uh, I think my goal, I, I had this mindset that I wanted to um, uh, have my clients think I knew everything I was doing all the time. And I was completely in charge. So if I were in a setup where um, something was happening, but the lighting was wrong or this and that, I would just say, oh, I'll just fix it in post. I don't want to, I don't want them to think I don't know how to do this. Sure. <laughs> I mean, th that was a lot of it, you know? So um, you just run through it. Just run through it. Go, go, get the shots. You know, I'd get, I'd get really great moments. I, you know, I, I, one of the things I did very well in the beginning was uh, hone right in on genuine expression. And I was able to make those situations happen if they weren't there. And, um, and that was great. But I was wasn't at all mastering exposure and getting really smart about lighting and all that sort of thing. And so part of what was wrong with those photographs was it was a lot of me editing them to go look like what I wanted the client to think I was doing naturally. And, um, and in speaking with so many photographers and mentoring so many portrait shooters, that is not uncommon. We don't necessarily say it out loud, like I just did, but <laughs> it's, it's not uncommon. So for me, part of the pulling back and looking at, at business also involved giving myself a lot more of a deeper window to just nail these settings. Because aperture, shutter speed, ISO, I mean, once you learn those, with everything else changing, the digital technology and the new lenses and the crazy you know, sensitivity of this and that, the principle are sound and they stay the same. And if you learn the relationship and you really have it like muscle memory, you, you've got it done. Mm -hmm. So taking the time to really do that will enable you to just control so much more of the stress or insecurity you might feel down the line. In looking at your work and your site and the businesses that you have, I think one of your greatest assets is the fact that you're a very solid businesswoman. Thank so you. midnight, you're, you're tired of you know, editing again. No, no, that was like take, 3 a.m. Yeah, or 3 a.m. You're tired <laughs> you're not, of you're editing. Being generous. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're not spending enough time with your daughter. Mm -hmm. What did you do to tear this business apart to build this business back together? What was your your new foundation? Because yeah. obviously, it looked it looks like you kind of started over almost to build something completely different. Yeah. So um, it's funny you mentioned spending time with my daughter. I uh, I used to think if she's crawling across my keyboard, that was work life balance. I'm like, <laughs> look, time we're spending your time together. <laughs> um, so one of the things I did was I I kind of recognized that what I think for anybody, if you can actually practice significant awareness and see why you're doing what you're doing and see what's driving you to basically self-sabotage. Um, taking a moment to step back and see what it is. And the underlying concern I had was that if I didn't take every job that came in, they may never come in again. And so that put me in this rapid cycle of someone's call, I'll book them right away, and I don't have time to stop and pull back and fix this. I've just got to hurry up and get all the stuff on my plate done. So by never saying no, you were sabotaging yourself. Yeah, I was so giving myself no, no window. Yeah. Um, so part of it was saying if someone were to call um, and book a, uh, call on a Saturday and want a session, I would look at my calendar and I'd scroll in the first available window. I'd say, right there. Let's do that, um, which gave me no leeway for any of the things that happen in photography, like the prints come in and they're damaged and the frame's not working and you're tired and your laptop's, you know, not coming on. You got to go to the Apple store, mm -hmm. you know, all of that That's sort of stuff. That's the worst. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> 
Hi, geniuses. Yeah. Um, so so it, because there's so many factors that can go wrong, you need to pad all that time appropriately so you can breathe in and out and not feel stressed all the time and bring that into your work and interrupt your creativity. And I wasn't doing that. So what I, what I started doing is saying, okay, this is the amount of time a shoot really takes um, from start to finish. And that's every factor from that initial inquiry all the way through to the shoot, the post-processing, all this padding for errors, ordering the prints, getting them back, all the follow-up back and forth, getting the invoice paid. This amount of time is not what it takes. Not the two hours I budget for a shoot. Right, you had never really done a, a true inventory of, no. of what it cost you in terms of time and effort Correct. to do the job. Correct, and anybody who does that for the first time will double check their math because they're saying no yeah. way. I agree with that. Yeah, So, and it's funny because I got into photography after leaving the business world. I was with Accenture and management consultant and I was in organizational design and development. So you had a business background. Yeah, I had a business background and I was the one who walked into a client site and said, okay, how do we make this more efficient? Let's streamline your processes, this and that. And then I rolled into doing a crack job for the next three years. you forgot everything you had learned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did, I did because I left that job because I felt like, you know, uh, I was, we were chatting a little bit earlier. Um, I felt like my, the soul was draining from my body and I was so aware of how much I was not getting out of it. And I wanted a pure creative experience. Mm -hmm. So I just did that and forgot that you can, can be exceptionally creative when it comes to business as well. So stepping back and say, okay, whiteboard, literally big, large whiteboard. Um, let me map out everything I'm doing from start to finish, recognize how often I'm doing that same process, how often they're concurrently happening and, uh, and then, and put a hold. So if you're going to call me on a Saturday and I would normally say, let's book you on a Wednesday. Now, when you call me on a Saturday, I'm going to look at my calendar. I'm going to say, I need two to three weeks to, to full-time get this under control. So I will book you in three and a half weeks or four weeks right. or whatever time that, that means for somebody. Yep. Um, and that was one of the first steps was to say, you know, I will break and, and do this. I want to key in on something that you said, because I think it's really important. And you said that business can be creative. Mm. And I think so many people in the world of the arts, whether it's photography or graphic design, they think of business as the antithesis of creativity. Yeah. Which... How, how, why do you find it creative and, and what aspects of business do you feel that you can change and move and kind of customize? Because really, that's what you're doing with business. You're everything. making it work for you, right? Everything. And that's the creativity. Yeah. I mean, you can shape a business in whatever form you want. I mean, it, there are very few businesses that are exactly alike and the ones that are exactly alike probably aren't doing very well. Creative, creatives don't think that way. Uh, it's interesting. Which I don't think yeah. they think that way. I mean, yeah. right? I yeah. think if I'm behind a camera, I'm creative, but not looking at the business analytics. Right. So how do they get there? Um, I think one of the things is to start with a blank slate. I mentioned a whiteboard. We, I literally looked at a big open whiteboard and said, okay, how am I doing everything? Okay, let me erase this. Take a photo, erase this. How do I want to do everything? Mm -hmm. How far apart are they? And what do I need to do to get from there to there? Um, and all the steps that it's going to take in, in, in the interim and a rough time estimate of what it's going to take. So like a perfect tactical example, you know, kind of you're looking, that's the strategy. A tactical example might be, um, how many times am I talking to a client every single time I have a shoot? Let's see. Uh, there's the initial inquiry. I call up. Oh, I'm actually not there because I'm going to shoot. I'll call them back. We do about two or three things of phone tag. They come back through. We book the session. I call them back again to remind them of the session. And we talk about clothing. We talk one more time. Just make sure everyone's all set. Okay, I'll see you there. We do. You know, you kind of count all that up, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm having 24 points of contact. That's a lot for this one thing. But what I could do is create a script. 
have it be an email signature that I send. Here's all the details. Please put these on your calendar. I'll send you out an auto reminder. Um, we'll have this one conversation because it is significant and important for me to have a connection with you. Of course. Um, but uh, those, all those other conversations can happen by an, with another person, like my studio director. So in now, when I have a session booked, the first phone call I have with them is the one right before the shoot. And that's it. And then everything else is done either automated or by somebody that I've hired to have that conversation. Are you using specific software to manage all of this? Keep it all um, Yeah. So we've been using, start, I, I'm, we're on our second um, studio software. We started out with uh, Successware. Do you remember that? No. no. So it was a pretty huge integrated software program that I loved, but it was also very, um, it was like, you know, USB to operate it from oh. a main area. Um, and then we moved over to ShootQ, which we've been using for the last few years. And we're actually right now in the process of locking down um, the next software that we're going to go to because we found one that we really like. We just have to make sure. That's it, a big uh, move. Yeah. Change it. But yeah, it is a big move. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, that's even a good example. So if you want to change software, there's very few studio software programs that have an export function. They really? don't want you to leave oh, their software. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. So yeah. the act of leaving one software into another means you've got to now do a whole crap load of data entry. Yeah. And so a lot of, you know, photographers might get stuck there. And the mindset is like, no, no, you don't have to call your local high school, pay somebody $10 an hour, give them Outsource some coffee, say yeah. so it's data, you know, whatever. Um, things like that. I think we get trapped a little bit and stuck. And our resistance point is something that's super easy to move through. You just need to pull back and look at it a little fresh. Yeah. Obviously doing this all automated process is a lot easier for you. How do you think it is on your customer base? Do you think it improves their customer experience? Yeah, because it's built with the aspect of that in mind. So how do we streamline this? Because think about it, all those call back and forths, mm -hmm. that's really annoying to them, yeah, too. It's a lot of time for them, too. Yeah, and we have a really good look at our target market, and our target market, their number one commodity is time. They are busy. They make a lot of money happily, uh, or they value photography and are willing to spend a lot of money on it. Mm -hmm. And um, in their mindset, if I can offer them this one thing they need the most, the time saving mm -hmm. and, and something all done, the way we run our whole sales session is I, I pitch it as like, we're going to um, sit down, we're going to have a wonderful time looking through all of this, and we're going to knock it out and it will be done. And that is a very appealing thing for somebody who's very busy and thinks of ordering prints as something that's going to be going back and forth, going back and forth. So it sounds like you have no shortage of clients. How are you getting your name out there? How are you winning business? Am I winning? How am I winning? Winning. <laughs> um, the, well, a number of means. The vast majority, I just did uh, my platform here at WPPI was on how to simplify business and portraits to uh, maximize your revenue, uh, client referrals, and quality of life. And the whole concept there was um, one of the main themes was how uh, how much it matters to work with your existing client base and not just market to them, but really look at all the options available to you to do a significant amount of long-term business, turning that transaction into a long-term relationship. It's easier to keep a customer than to get a new one. Extraordinarily so. Not just keep them, but also maximize right. things and think about all the other Monetize. areas that you can work with. Yeah. And so um, in that regard, I would say now. Nowadays, uh, I'm, I'm in the 80-20 role. About 20% of my clients are new, and 80% of them are people I've photographed again and again. And, and I'm happy to because I know the pattern of how they spend and what they'll invest in. And they're happy to because they have the quality and consistency that they've come to expect. Um, when we are pulling in new clients, we're using a, a variety of 
marketing techniques. So they're not um, out of the box in terms of what you know. There's obviously uh, newsletters, which we do a lot. We have a lot of people sign up for our newsletter on our blog. I have a pretty active blog. I try to update it at least once a week, although this week that won't happen out here. Um, I can't keep up with all the blogging myself, so I work with a company, Photoscribe, who does all the web editing for me, and then I jump in and um, do the writing because I want the writing to be my voice. It's my images and my writing. I just don't want to do the web editing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and we do, uh, obviously, social media. Uh, we do uh, Facebook advertising and marketing. Uh, we do a lot of client referral uh, vouchers. There's, there's a whole lot. But it's, it's the, you know, I joke about always be marketing, but seriously, always be marketing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and marketing is a multifaceted um, approach. There's not just one thing that works. Correct. You have to do a lot of different things in order to, get, to have the whole picture in marketing. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and there's the, you know, rule of thumb that, like, you just put one thing out and it didn't work and you think, oh, that doesn't work. Yep. No, they got to see it like seven times, yep. you know? Seven points of contact. There you go. Yeah. For your clients that are coming back to you, how often are they coming back to you and um, what are they getting? Like what type of photography are they interested in getting? Great photography. <laughs> it's great. They, they want like, it to be great. A couple portraits or is I mean, it mostly what are you kids? Doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, specifically, like is it kid photography and you're, you're photographing them as a child and you follow them all the way through high school or the couples that get, um, you know, sessions done every few years? So it's different for everybody. For the most part, I would say the most common repeat client we have is family and children. And then as their lives move forward into different areas, I photographed weddings for seven years. Um, That was an extraordinary feeder program into our portrait business. And when people talk about maybe wanting to do both and build up their business, I'm like, that's if you're open to doing both, that's a great way to to get both businesses referred to, a lot of referrals from both businesses. But um, the the other thing that we do often is we have we have a number of steady headshots come through our studio. My studio director does headshots. We have another photographer who does headshots. I don't do them as much, um, but we also kind of touch base with everybody's coming through for whatever the, the genre is they're hiring us for to let them know about everything else we offer. Um, so that's part of it too. I, I've worked with, um, you know, for instance, one of the clients I've worked with for 12 years, I've photographed her entire family, her daughter's senior portraits, her company. I've flown out to, um, her, she has owned some spas throughout the country. I've flown out and done, um, some commercial work at the spas. I've done product shots. We've done on location shoots with models in a more of a lifestyle editorial fashion. Um, so, you know, you go from doing one family shoot to about eight different types of shoots and then, and then they branch out from there as you make the contacts. What do you like doing the most? In photography? Mm-hmm. Um, in photography, probably the thing that comes the most naturally to me is uh, children photography. Uh, just the raw, easy, off. it's not easy, like because they keep running away from yeah. you. <laughs> um, but it's easy in regard to if your goal, and my goal is to get the most authentic capture I can, there's so much less you have to fight through to get that raw emotion from children. And so in that respect, it's the easiest thing for me. Was it, was it hard for you to kind of turn over the reins, in a sense, to other associate photographers and bring them in? Because you're now um, bringing people under your umbrella, but you're not the creative right. behind that camera every yeah. time. So how was that process for you to actually start to envelop other photographers under you? Yeah, so um, initially, and, and the whole, uh, our associate model has uh, evolved quite a bit, but initially, yeah, I definitely struggled because I was so, and I still am, so careful with every shoot I put out. 
I mean, I we I don't ever just kind of like here you go. Like I'm really intentional about how the shoot goes, how I want the final collection to look, um, how I want uh, certainly a mix in terms of the emotions and and um, the backgrounds and the um, clothing and the color toning. I mean, I really want it to be a collection versus here's a bunch of shots that look a little different. And um, because I care so much about how that is delivered, you know, kind of hiring someone else and put it under your studio name is nerve wracking. Yeah. Because like, what if you just destroy my brand? Right. And there somebody is somebody else could potentially ruin your business. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a very real possibility. And over the, um, gosh, I want to say I've been working with an associate model for, uh, under some construct for 13 years. Because the oh, first assistant the I got immediately, you know, started doing overflow sh flow shoots for me. And then I kind of shaped it into an associate model. Um, and in that time, I've had some amazing people I've worked with. And um, I mean, a perfect example is I'm out here in Vegas this week. Um, this woman, Erin Costa, who worked for, for us for a few years, moved out uh, to Wilmington a few hours away. And um, after working with us for a few years and having really great experiences, she she moved away. We kind of helped support her business. We see her out here in Vegas. I had somebody who was supposed to come out and do some shooting for us for our Redefine show. Um, they got sick and couldn't come at the last second. And we're able to reach out to her. And she's like, absolutely. And then she spent like a huge amount of time helping us film and video and, and on her already packed schedule um, because you have this great relationship. And I look at that and I say, okay, that's amazing. I'm so glad I have this model because not only do I get an opportunity to expand my business, I make real wonderful connections where we are in touch for a lifetime. And I've got a lot of that. On the flip side, I've had people go out and do um, a pretty rough job, be very defensive about it, um, and uh, kind of blame the clients. And we have to completely, basically mute them and take over mm -hmm. to make sure the, the name is managed. And then I had to do a reshoot. Um, I've had that extreme of it, too, uh, as well. You have to come in and clean up the mess. Yeah, which is exhausting when you have your own yeah, that's everyday right messes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so there is that. And I've, ha I've actually been a little stunned at, at some of the um, entitlement that can come in the door. Um, you know, you spend all this time building everything up and they come in and just, you know, like what? Yeah. So, so, you know, that's one of the major things I, I screen for is like, what is, what is your genuine motivation here? How much do you want this? How, how much do you care to deliver an amazing product? And how much do you just expect that, um, this is just one more avenue for, for you to walk in and take whatever you can get. Are you finding that a lot are associates coming in with an end goal of taking your knowledge and getting out? Or do a lot of them have that, that goal of, no, I want to be here and I want help contribute and I want to be a part of this organization? Um, well, if I, you know, if I could call that better, I wouldn't have had the experience I've had. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, what I, what the ideal situation it, for me and, and I think for an associate is I just want to shoot. This is their, their mindset. I just want to shoot. I love taking great photographs. I don't want to sell. I don't want to book. I don't want to market. I don't want to ask for money, but I am a really good shooter. Mm -hmm. That's the great. That's the perfect associate for us. Um, and, and I'm also, you know, I appreciate working with people. I'm going to have a great experience with them. Um, and I'm going to make sure they have a good experience because there's some great shooters out there that are just a dud for two hours on a shoot that the clients are like, maybe the pictures will be great, but that was exhausting, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, um, that is a, a really good fit for us because we do the marketing, the inquiry management, the scheduling, the booking, collect the session fee, um, line everything up. They do the shoot, they manage the prints and, and the process it's send it back to us. And then, uh, that we do this 
sale. My studio director does a sale. So, you know, we can kind of wrap all that up, all the business stuff they may not want to do if they can provide the talent and creativity and drive. You have so many people working under you. How much? That sounds so weird to say that. Well, or what maybe you down there. Maybe, yeah, maybe not <laughs> under you, but working for you. Okay. So how much time do you have working to spend? with me. With. Uh, with it's a collaborative. She's, yeah, a ball our, bu- she's a ball buster today. Our, our, our mo- <laughs> I have oh, yeah. the feeling it's every day. I think <laughs> this woman knows her mind very, very well. She knows what she wants. Uh, how much time do you have to spend in management? Like, how much of your day is spent overseeing the entirety of it, or is, are you at a point now where it just kind of you can't ever be autopilot? You have to have your hand in your business. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you are you guys uh, familiar with? Uh, I read it forever ago. Uh, e myth revisited. E myth. The e myth. The myth revisited. Yeah, actually, fantastic. Um, my brother-in-law gave me that book years and years yeah. and years and years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's been rewritten like four times yeah. now. Did you read it? Iterations. Rob? No, I got bored after ten pages. <laughs> <laughs> he gave it what to are me. all these words? He just read yeah. the. He just read the headline. I read <laughs> pictures, not words. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I there's just read no the drawings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, maybe you can get the audio book. <laughs> but I'll uh, read it to you on the plane, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Perfect. I'll put you to sleep. <laughs> that uh, the one of the concepts in there that I thought was very striking was um, kind of get very honest with yourself about where you better fit. Are you the strategist, visionary? Are you the manager? Um, or are you the doer? Are you the producer? And um, for me, I recognize that I am the producer. I am the one out there doing the stuff. Um, and I am the strategist and visionary. I know exactly how I want this to go. I know what we do want to do. I don't, what we don't want to know. I feel like I have a really good idea of what our voice is as a business. Um, I am a horrible manager. I'm a terrible, terrible, crap, terrible manager. Really? Because I find the process of managing to be exhausting. It's I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit there and check on people. I don't want to um, go through a, a bunch of spreadsheets. All the, all that kind of stuff that somebody else, when they look at those three models, would be like, oh, I love like being the guy in charge. I right. love being the manager. That's the one I want being my manager. Um, and uh, my manager doesn't do much production at all. Like she will, I call my manager is our studio director. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does not do much management at all or production at all, except for the headshots. And, um, and she does very little of the strategy visionary stuff. You know, if we sit down and we want to do a big picture thing, she's like, I'm going to go grab lunch. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, she knows her, her she concerts. knows her thing. Yeah. But like, if I say like for here, for instance, here at WPPI this week has been, um, I've had eight speaking engagements, four live shoots, co-hosted the award show. We did seven interviews that I was interviewing for our redefined show. And um, in the thick of all that, I would have been a complete whimpering mess in the corner without her managing Mm -hmm. things. Like she was literally grabbing lunch for me and getting the shot and making sure the models could get in and all that kind of stuff that I'm not that good at. Um, And she's just like, right, on point. Let's go. Nope, Tamara, no more talking. Next step. And that's all the stuff that exhausted you before when you were just doing and it yes. and then you had no life work balance and yes. you're like, I hate photography because yes. you were doing all the things you didn't want to do. Yes. Oh, it's so funny. I know that. But as you said that, I swear I just got goosebumps. Really? <laughs> I'm like, yes. I have that I, effect on people. I, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm looking at you. Can you guys see him? <laughs> um, no, but that's exactly it. Yeah. That is, that is um, I don't know that I've quite looked at it that way. That is spot on probably a big chunk of what i hated about it yeah yeah i knew i wasn't good at it but i didn't realize that's that's because i was doing so much of it yeah good job rob good job good job bud let's take a moment (laughs) slow clap for rob i appreciate that guys (laughs) hey some of that um clear liquid could i get one of those yeah Yeah. we can get your water oh that's awesome oh I, i like how you didn't say it was vodka Oh, we have that too. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just for the record, no, no, just, just for the water. She, she oh requested tequila just now. 
<laughs> so let's talk a little bit about pricing. Uh, I think a lot of photographers struggle with how to price themselves, and maybe a lot of them leave money on the table. How has your pricing changed throughout the years, and when did you know it was right to change? Uh, great question. I didn't do it very seamlessly my first year. My first year, and I'm not kidding at all, I changed my price list 12 separate times. In one year? Which I would highly so not recommend. Insane. Thank you. So every month it was Yeah, because I was, I was running my business in a very reactionary manner. Like, okay, this has happened. This is what I'll do. You know, and that's, you know, advice I'd give to anybody is stop putting out fires and start coming up with a strategy that you proactively will manage or get somebody else to manage. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and for me, basically every time I would feel like this is crazy, I can't believe how much shooting I'm doing. I can't sleep. I'm putting my prices up, <laughs> I yeah. that, but not too much because I'm scared. <laughs> I did that again and again and again. Fear-based, fear-based yeah, pricing. Fear-based reactionary pricing. <laughs> that would be my business model. I don't think that's in the E-Myth or any other book. No, actually. no, no, no. That's in the don't do this model. Right. Um, so after a while, though, I got to a certain point where I started recognizing that um, the value, the value for me isn't in the session fee, which is what I was mostly kept bringing up. Um, it, it's in those sales. And instead of saying, hey, they booked me, I've got a session fee and hopefully I'll get some sales. I was like, no, it needs to be this, the session fee guarantees the time of the photographer and the upside is going to be in that sales model that how you're running that and how you're thinking about that and how um, how you are just applying just as much creativity to a sales process as you are to the shoot and um, and once that shifted I, I really hunkered down on a pricing model that we've been at comfortably for the last probably four years I mean we kind of slowly did a, a few changes on our a la carte pricing but my session fee is $500 and it's been there Gosh, I want to say since 2009, like that session fee is not, mm -hmm. not moved for quite some time because it's at the perfect spot. It's high enough that people are going to value the shoot, but it's not so high. That they won't go. Yeah. 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 I wish there was an easy way for people to, to understand or some sort of like switch that you could just flip so they could realize that there is true creativity in looking at the business side of the business. Yeah. It's a hard one. Yeah. It's just so hard. So in terms of your sales for products, do you have a lot of options? Do you have a very few amount of options? What's your approach to um, allowing them to pick stuff? Yeah, we have a very streamlined, simplified collection of products on purpose. Um, my first, <laughs> I feel like my first three years is my before, uh, but really as I, my price list used to be like what Santa's Christmas wish list looks like, <laughs> like everything you see out there, we can do yeah. everything. Yeah. And then, you know, coffee obviously mugs. coffee mugs, blanket, um, <laughs> If you walk into, you know, an Apple store, it's, it's streamlined. There's, there's a quite a short, I mean, I think there's like eight products in the whole store. If you think about it, except for that little section at the end, um, that's all they're selling. And they just really want you to love those very, very well. And they're going to present them in a very eye-catching fashion. And you'll start looking at components of them as the great differentiators versus a wide variety of products. And that is what we do. So we're going to have uh, maybe four chunks of print sizes. It's not like, hey, we'll sell you a 3 by 5 and a 4 by 5 and a 4 by 6 And it's just... Eight by ten and under, right? You know, it's this section, this section, uh, because there's not a, a huge difference in, in profit margin for us uh, in terms of when you look at the cost of goods. It's more moving somebody into that next echelon and, and finding the right product for them. So we have a, a, I want them to hold, if they're looking at a price list, a really simple little card. That's, that's going to be their, um, their kind of base. And then we'll talk about anything that's extra from there. So if someone is buying three large framed pieces, 
the cost of that is going to depend on, are you getting conservation glass? What kind of frame are you getting? Um, you know, what kind of finish are you getting? All those things will be a variable factor, but I'm not going to say the variable factors of your framing. Well, it's just frame piece starts at, yeah. you know, keep it simple and then we'll figure it out. Have you, do you do any of your own printing? Do you outsource, outsource everything? Um, I outsource everything to Nation's Photo Lab, and um, I am very grateful for that because uh, I've worked with a number of labs over the years, and um, I do not and would not consider doing my own printing for my commercial printing, the way our model is set up, just because it would just be so much time. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend to anybody that if you're working with an outside lab, you make the time to make them a partner. Because if you're just an anonymous person that just hopefully you'll get somebody to pick up on the customer service line, you're going to have a rough time in those emergency situations where you're like, I totally screwed up. I need this by Friday. Who can I talk to to make this happen? I think that's a really valuable piece of advice. Even if you're outsourcing part of your business, make that person or that company a business partner of yours. Absolutely. And you can do that. I mean, people, companies are amenable to that. They just, most people don't think to, to do that. But I, we do that with every single vendor we work with. So out of curiosity, what happens if you someone orders a big uh, canvas? If they don't like it for whatever reason, can you send Not that back? Not my photography. Yeah, yeah. Not that reason. <laughs> it, let's, let's say it's just it's bad canvas. Say this, bad canvas. <laughs> something that's subjective, right? Yeah. Something that, you know, they, they think the color's off a little bit. Sure. Can you just send it back and they'll reprint you a new canvas? That's no the problem. kind of relationship you want to have. Yeah, yeah. So I have worked with print labs in the past where... Um, uh, a, a, a canvas, for instance, was delivered. We opened it up, and there was a dent on the corner, yep. a tear, a scratch across the front. Um, we called them and say that, and they're like, "Okay, package it up and mail it back. And once we get it, we'll inspect it. And then, and oh my god, no, 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 it yep. drags it out for the customer. No, I mean at the at the very least, when you're choosing a print lab, um, you know, having a discussion where you're saying, worst case scenario, I'll take a photograph. I'm going to have an email I can send it to so you can look at it while we're talking real time if we need to do that, if you need that for your own, you know, Q&A purposes. Um, but for the most part, that sending back thing, that's just not going to fit my business model. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Walking. <laughs> yeah. I'm walking here. I'm, walk, I'm out. <laughs> so I, I know that when we print Duratrans for your shoots, mm -hmm. sometimes they come in and they're super dark. Oh, and, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, you got to buy it. You know, they wow. charge you. Sometimes Who's you your print lab? Yeah. <laughs> Who's well, I know that's happened in the past. Yeah, that's happened in the past. And it, that that's a tough one because um, those those are uh, Duratrans we're using for, for backgrounds in shoots when I'm in the studio. Um, and we're getting a file, and it's just a weird, weird process. But a lot of times labs are, are, are pretty um, open to, to redoing it for us. But sometimes they have charged us. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to use you guys again. No, that's, that's just, you know, cool. walking, walking. The problem though for that, it's such a specialized, um, type of printing. There are very few places that do that anymore. Yeah. So they kind of own the market. And Duratrans yeah. is weird. Mm -hmm. and it's just a weird, weird thing. So, but yeah, we well, but by that same token, as we're talking and we're evaluating the vendors to use so that our lives are more efficient, I want to also provide that to my clients. Yeah. So if they come in and, um, you know, and we've definitely, we've had situations where people are like, they've had a framed piece on their wall for 10 years. It fell. They bring it in and they're like, oh, like, you know, we'll redo it. And do I want to pay? And I'm going to pay it and I'm not going to charge them because we want that long-term relationship. Yeah. And when you make those little choices, because they don't happen often. And I've talked to photographers about this. And they're like, whoa, I'm not going to shell money out of my, because they drop their frame. You know, I get that. But when you make these little choices, 
every so often. If you're in a situation where someone's coming in every day, okay, revise. But it does not happen often. I, you know, we had a, a wedding client recently, and I don't even shoot weddings anymore. I haven't for like five years. Um, we had a wedding client come in, brought their album, and somebody basically had um, spilled uh, something on a magazine that was on top of it. And when they took it off, it kind of ripped into the top of the album. Yeah. Yeah. And so she brought it in and she's like, and we're like, okay, we'll redo, we'll redo the whole thing. Not that I'm ever going to have your wedding again, this and that, but have you seen our family portraits? And she's going to buy something else. Absolutely. Because that will stand out and it, and it does. So it might be a loss leader in the fact that you lost a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or whatever, but she's going to come back to you and spend thousands. And the seven people that she's going to tell that she had this amazing client service with and that, that hopefully she'll post about because you'll talk a little bit about that, Right. you know? Right. So understanding your customer experience is a huge part of business as well. It's not just, yeah. oh, what are my dollars and cents? If I give that up, I'm losing a hundred bucks. It's looking at the totality of your customer experience. Absolutely. I mean, tying back to the idea of being creative, not just in shooting, but in business. Um, if you're going to practice empath- empathy and connection so that you can have these great interactions with your clients on a shoot, but then erase them when it comes to every other part of your, you know, that doesn't make much sense. Yeah, so why, why did you stop shooting weddings? I'm exhausted with weddings. I have mad respect for everyone that shoots weddings. I don't know They're how they so do it. They're so hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, the stress and just thinking about shooting someone's wedding. And the wedding physicality. Freaks me out. The physicality. I've come back with full-on crazy rope burns on the back of my neck. I mean. Rope, who's, <laughs> rope burns? Who's? Rope burns. What are you getting into? I'm in a very violent wedding photographer. <laughs> some kinky rope kinky on a wedding set? Okay, let me just provide some context before that's clipped out. And like, it's no, like we're totally weird... clipping that yeah. out. And that's going to be how we entice people into this podcast. Uh, okay. No, it's the. Uh, camera strap, the massive body, like, you know, I shoot the Nikon D5 now, but you know, the heavy, heavy body, the 7,200 lens, you got a second camera around your neck sometimes because you're doing, right. you want to be able to, you know, grab this wide angle lens and this long lens and da da da. And before you know it, you're bleeding. Tough. <laughs> uh-huh. It's tough business. Mm. And, but yeah, yeah. You're, you're dealing with people on probably the most neurotic day of their life. Yes. So everybody and high emotion, high anxiety. Yeah. 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 But that is actually not why I left weddings. <laughs> that was just a perk. It was the rope Yeah. <laughs> it was, the, again, I feel like I see, I'm going to see this like as a, as a Twitter. Oh yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> but this, um, for me, it was because I was photographing weddings on Saturdays and shooting portraits all week long. And I kind of got to the point with now at that point, I had had three kids Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to miss the soccer games and all that sort of stuff. So it became a lifestyle choice. You know, it was kind of, I could choose one or the other, but I wasn't going to do both. And I was far more drawn to portraits. But then from a business perspective, I had to say, okay, I mean, I was averaging quite a great business model with the weddings. Um, And if those are going to go away, how do I go ahead and absorb that loss in terms of being able to maximize my profits here? And how do I adjust portraits so that this makes sense? And in the end, it just meant, okay, I'm going to probably do one more portrait session every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Simply because I wasn't doing a wedding every weekend at that point. How long did it take for you to kind of make up that gap when you let go of weddings and the income drop from that? How long did it take you to? Before I sh- before I shot my last wedding because there was a two year lead time there, uh, fulfilling all the contracts I had in place from the decision point. Two years. Yeah. Wow. Who? Yeah. Who gets married knows they're getting married two years a lot before they a, a lot of people. people. Is that really? Yeah. Oh two my years? word. Dude, think of the planning gotta... that people do for weddings. I mean, That's crazy. I yeah. mean, when they're spending like 
they're renting an island and they're this and that and they want their day and this stuff gets booked out early. I'm not doing that for my daughters. Sorry, girls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like eloping is awesome. I got got married in jeans at the courthouse in Eastern Europe. I'm... (laughs) That was awesome. <laughs> that whole sentence together is really what works. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Haven't looked back. Aww. Aww. I love you. <laughs> love you, baby. Let's talk a little bit about Nikon. You're one of their ambassadors, right? Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Um, the ambassadizing? <laughs> How did that like come about? Like knighting. <laughs> that sounds a little rough, I know, ambassadizing. I know. Um, the, uh, let's see. Okay, so I started my career shooting Canon. Um, nothing bad to say about Canon. I did a great job starting my career with it. And um, at some point, uh, gosh, maybe five, four years ago, um, I, oh, five years ago, I was at uh, WPPI. And um, someone asked if I have ever shot Nikon. I was like, no. I mean, I'll maybe pick up a Nikon while I'm on a workshop next to somebody, and I'll click it a couple times, but I, I hadn't really tried it. Um, and said, would you be interested in, in just trying out some of the gear and seeing what you think in terms of shooting between the two? And I took both sets of gear out on a commercial shoot I had, which I was flying to. And because I knew the Canon gear so well, I shot 75% of the shots with uh, Canon and only about 25% with this Nikon. But I noticed immediately that the ergonomics were insane. Like for me, it was just like the slips, everything's the right, I'm used to hunting for this button, it's right here. Fit you better. It just fit me better. Um, But that was still like, okay, that's neat. And then later I looked at the files and when I delivered them, about 75% of what I shot, what I delivered was from that 25% because just the, the sharpness and the you know, dynamic range of shooting in a really low light situation. Um, I was, I was surprised. And so yeah, I that do, says a lot to delivery was it the rate. D800. Uh, it was the D800. Yeah. I mean that, that camera changed. I, th- I think, I think the D800 was one of the best improvements in an upgrade. It was a significant it change. Was a big yeah. yeah. I was shooting between that and the 5D Mark three at the time. Yeah. Um, which I liked until I was shooting with that one. Um, and, Anyway, so I, I continued to like, I was like, I'm not going to rush into anything because I don't know if you guys have ever sold a whole chunk of your gear. Like, Are you kidding? Yeah, I've been in the business lot. 25 years. Yeah. I've gone through a lot of different yeah. uh, types of gear. Yeah. Like when you lay it all out, you're like, holy crap, have I really been spending that much? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wasn't going to make that call yet, uh, but I continued to shoot more and more into the point where that's all I was going to shoot with. And so I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then they, they started talking about doing the ambassador program. Uh, but that was still another six months out or something until they did that. Um, so that's been really cool because uh, there's been, what that's done is not only do I you know, speak for Nikon and, and um, do a lot of behind the scenes films with them and things like that, um, but there, it, it also is a lot of commercial shoots for Nikon. Mm-hmm. So you know, we'll, I'll get a, a white box in the mail and you open it up and it's an unlabeled camera that you're not supposed to know what it is. So cool. Uh, it is so cool. And you open up the menu and there's only like three options that are open <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. It's like secret Christmas. It is. It is. And then you line up your model. You have your series of shots that they want you to do. And they want you you to emphasize depth of field, uh, noise capabilities, um, and action, like high shutter speed. And so you you do all your, spend a week lighting all these sets and this and that with this camera that you don't even know what it is. Yeah. That must be fun, though. It's It's so fun. You're on a secret mission. It is so, so fun. Until... You get done. Uh, the first mistake I ever made, and so if anybody's in this situation in the future, like the first mistake I made is I shot in uh, raw mode and then went on that first shoot of a series of shoots and then went to open up the files and no camera uh, software would open it. Yeah. I was like, I can't get to them. 
And so I contacted Nikon and they're like, oh yeah, you need to make sure it's in, you're shooting in raw and JPEG so you can work with the files. I'm like, ah. Uh, and they oh, had yeah. no workaround? They, um, had, they had no not way Not at the time. They did. They did. But it wasn't right away. Um, and it was pretty soon thereafter, but it was still a couple of months until uh, Photoshop or Lightroom worked. Wow. Yeah, which was oh, camera raw and Lightroom. Yeah, so um, so now I do all of that in in uh, in JPEG, and so and they'll they'll use the JPEG images for marketing, which probably sounds crazy, but that's what they're using because they're they're really intent on showing pretty pure, clean images, and um, which I respect, and um, and then so so being able to do something like that is is a lot of fun, and then later you find out what camera you were shooting with, like oh look at that D seven two hundred, nice, <laughs> yeah. So what is your go to lens? The lens that you just couldn't. Go to a shoot without uh, the one I couldn't there's two our favorites one is like my absolute favorite but it's not the go-to one I will never the one I will never go to a shoot without is the 2470 2.8 that's the that's the go-to lens for a lot of people we've been asking everyone it's a workhorse question. it's the thing that you can use anywhere you go you walk in any situation you don't know it's going to be that lens will take care of you yeah I love it. Are you shooting handheld? Do you ever shoot tethered? What's what's your choice? Um, I only shoot tethered when I'm on a live stage, um, and it's really tough for me. The physical tether, um, because I am such a jump around shooter, like I'm moving all the time, and I'm spinning and I'm moving and I'm jumping and this and that, and I'm constantly knocking the tether out, and the live screen goes blank, and the audience is like, and Nikon looks at me like, stop it. <laughs> um, that's happening just across the board. But uh, so I hate having a tether right you know i've done seven no nine i've done nine creative live uh programs have you guys familiar with creative live yeah we've done it yeah so then done the where you're tethered and i've never had a shoot where it didn't pop out and um yeah so i hate shooting tethered but i know that it now yeah, we can go wireless tethering it, it has a purpose it has a place it has well i get the instructional purpose yeah, yeah. but i find it very constricting um in general i try never to Let's talk a little bit about the educational component. I mean, I know why I do it and so many people do as well. It's, it's very rewarding. So um, how long have you kind of been on the, the educational stage and what do you get out of it personally? I, um, around 2007, so I'd been shooting professionally for about four and a half years at that point. Um, I had a concept for a book that I wanted to write and I just reached out to a couple of publishers. I got a very favorable response. I just sent them a pitch, my right. table of contents. <laughs> it's funny, like who invited you to write a book? I go, nobody, I asked them if I could. And, um, and the book was basically, I wanted to hone in on more of the uh, psychology behind working with children. And so my first book was called The Art of Children's Portrait Photography. Mm-hmm. And that, a big chunk of it was how to interact with children in the most immediate and natural way where you don't have situations where you can't pull off a whole session um, and you never fail on a shoot because of these techniques and such. And, um, and the book went really well. I really enjoyed writing it. And as soon as it came out, there was this kind of feedback of like, okay, you need to promote it now. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what do you mean? And then so... <laughs> you didn't know that before. What? And then so I, I did... Um, do you remember the DWF Forum? Yeah. Yeah. So they had a convention in Tampa, Florida. This was January of 2008. Okay. Um, and they asked me to speak. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be terrified. I'm going to hate this. I have a hard time getting up and speaking in front of large crowds, but I'll do it. And I got up there and within a second, I was unbelievably comfortable and I felt so at ease. And it's because I was speaking about something I knew incredibly well back and forth. And I hadn't recognized that before. 
apparently I've never known what I was talking about before. I'm going to have to speak. <laughs> but I guess that was it. Nice that you hit that goal. Um, but yeah, I guess I just hadn't had much public speaking experience. You right. know, you, you have those moments that stand out to you, like you're 13, you get in front of your class and you think you're going to pee yourself and you think, I'm a horrible public speaker. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. So uh, that went so well. And then that was just boom. And then I, I spoke at WPI that same year and, and then on and on. And I ended up suddenly doing a lot of speaking engagements. And uh, between that and the book, I started having um, more, you know, interaction on a larger scale with other photographers. And that's kind of how it kicked off. And what do you get out of it? What do I get out of it? Um, well, I mean, the the ease, the I don't know how many people speak to this, but one of the best perks of teaching is you're constantly reinforcing the actual things that you're teaching. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've said it so many times that I am doing it all the time. I don't, I don't skirt the, the things I say, whatever you do, don't forget to do this. Um, you're constantly teaching yourself how to be better every time you're teaching other people. And that's one of the major perks for me. Um, I love the exchange in it. It, it. In many ways, it mirrors the interaction you get with photography. When you have a camera in your hands and uh, you get to invite yourself into more personal dialogue with everyday people than you would normally have otherwise because you want to have a connection that's more meaningful. And you get that through education as well, especially the, the more private workshops right. that I do quite a lot of. Um, I've been doing pr the, the workshops, I think, since, uh, gosh, for the last seven years. And uh, there are 15 people max, um, three-day workshop, and I've had some incredible friends come out of that. In fact, I would say the last six of my associate photographers were previous workshop participants. That's an interesting statistic. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you go now? You've uh, obviously accomplished a lot, and you're finding great reward with your with your photography and teaching. Where do you go from here? What Where happened? I go from here? I'm going back home and going to I bed. I'm kids. so tired. <laughs> um, in terms of... Think bigger picture. <laughs> okay, right, right. Yeah, back up, after back up. You, after you get some rest. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, you know, interestingly enough, we uh, started, we opened up a new studio this year. And um, right. uh, this is now our third commercial space in Chapel Hill. The goal of the new space was to be much closer to home. Um, I'm literally a either a four-minute drive a, a seven-minute bike ride or a 15-minute walk. That's a good commute. From home. It's fantastic. Yeah, good commute. Um, so that was the goal. We ended up moving into a space that was uh, really expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been telling everybody for years, if you want to manage your stress, manage your costs, overhead. manage yeah. your overhead. Um, so we were kind of back and forth on this forever. And then we finally said, okay, we're going to invest in quality of life. And we're, we're going to put our money there. Mm -hmm. And so that was the decision point. But what we recognize is we moved into this kind of um, retail work life kind of thing where apartments are above and retail stores are below. It's really lovely area, but there's no coffee shop. Mm. And that was one of the things where like, can we really move in there if there's no coffee shop? <laughs> no. And then we went to the next level and said, well, what if we started a coffee shop? So we did that. We started. GTFO. <laughs> ah, I actually know what that means. <laughs> um, we did. We started Cocoa Bean Coffee Shop. Wow. You can go to CocoaBeanCoffeeShop.com to see it. And um, it's literally, so we have a 1,600 square foot space that was built out with the unbelievable attention to everything we knew we needed and to make sure we didn't put in anything 
that might be, you know, we don't need this. We don't need this space. We don't need that extra whatever. We don't shoot a ton indoors. Let's have a really a smaller shooting area. Um, just a lot of intentionality around architecting the space That's and designing gangster. it out. That's pretty so gangster. Um, so when you walk into our space, uh, there's 250 square feet of cafe tables, another 500 square feet, you know, small, but a really lovely little coffee shop. And then you go. And this um, is open to, open to the public. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's doing really well, actually. Does that actually drive business your way? Are people coming in to have coffee and then they're like, wow, this is an amazing portrait studio? Funny you should ask that. Right now, intentionally not. We wanted okay. to build out Cocoa Bean as a standalone coffee shop that was known as a coffee shop. Uh-huh. And then the next phase, which is coming up in about a month, is we're going to start hanging portraits and pieces and this and that. And we're going to put the names. So, like, if you walk into the coffee shop, You'll see a door, a glass door, um, that just looks like maybe it's where the coffee shop people go, <laughs> you know, right. when they're done being at the coffee shop. <laughs> um, but that's actually you, a walk into our big open space studio. And so the, the reaction we get from a lot of people when they open the door, like, whoa, because right. we have this big high ceiling, all glass, wood, natural light. I love our new space. Um, but you don't know that that's a photography studio at all because we wanted to get this going and then have enough people coming through that we would then get a lot more attention right. versus it be like, wait, when the coffee shop opened, is this a photography studio or a what, you know? So we wanted to kind of brand them separately. So is this the first Cocoa Bean Coffee Shop? Is this going to be a, a, new, this, a new empire? Damn, This what This was the first, and we've spent the last two weeks um, having a pop-up coffee shop at our, our library, Chapel Hill Public Library. You just need the dry second. cleaners, and you're going to win life. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You're but, done. But what else do you need? Spend- and, a, and, and a yoga studio. And like. Oh, we do a co- we do a yoga and tea. We do. <laughs> She's got that it's already. Coffee, she coffee, ju- you just tea. need dry coffee. Wow, miss. No, but the, the whole business thing. This is the thing. Right. All this stuff we're talking about, right. 100% applicable to this other retail business that we have a complete coffee shop manager, a day manager, an evening manager. They run all of it. We set up the strategy, we set up the vision, we set laid out how we want the marketing to go. Right. It's and very creative, and you I've love it. I've been here all week. I haven't talked to anybody there. That's awesome. That's Rob, we should kick out the architects downstairs and open up a whiskey tasting they're, room. They're, they're gone. Done. They're gone. <laughs> Actually, they will be. Nice. Yeah. Ah, we'll talk no, they're later. They're a new building. Whiskey so. tasting room. Oh. That's yeah, a brilliant that's idea. No, that's that's so great and so dangerous. <laughs> oh, Rob, th- come on. I love it. No, listen, bud. I love Big it. Picture. I just, Big I'm picture. Just, I'm worried about drinking some of the profits down. That's yeah. all. <laughs> I, I know we could be phenomenally successful at it in a whiskey tasting room. I still, the pinnacle of my career is going to yeah. be to have my own whiskey. We why wait? Just called Grim. We'd, yeah, no, why just, wait? Why wait? Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. This weekend. We're yeah, going to make it. This is great. I'll come have some whiskey. Yeah, all right. Are you a whiskey drinker? No, not at all. <laughs> you will be. But I'm open to all alcohols. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring like some it. when we come to shoot your bio. Perfect. In a couple months. Perfect. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I awesome. love it. That'll be fun. All right. This has been a fun yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, very much so. started a business, Rob. Awesome. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> and we might have a new business partner. Yes. There you go. You in? Done. I don't All even right. know what we're talking about, but I'm so in. We're talking about the whiskey tasting room? <laughs> oh, yeah. So think about it. You're going to own photo studios, yeah. coffee, mm-hmm. dry cleaning, okay, No, I'm not, yoga. I'm not on the dry cleaning. Everybody well, needs dry cleaning. <laughs> Everybody needs dry cleaning. Really? Profit margins are high. I dry clean nothing. I have a I steamer. Either. Yeah, I don't dry I've got clean the wrinkle-free but... downy in the dryer thing. Yeah, but think of all the lawyers and the accountants, the people that that, uh, that have suits and stuff that, yeah, that need dry yeah. cleaning. No, I want to open a vegan cafe. Ooh, yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah. We'll okay. put that. Okay, we'll put whiskey in our vegan. Yeah. Whiskey's vegan. You're damn whiskey right it is. Whiskey is so vegan. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, where can everyone find your work? Where you probably got 30 websites, so let's go. Uh, no, <laughs> actually, if you just go to Tamara Lackey, all A's, like camera. Camera. TamaraLackey.com. Um, do, do you own CameraLackey.com? No. Oh, you should. I'm going to buy that right now. <laughs> I just start squatting. Um, if you go there, you'll see um, not just uh, the main things you'll see is the website with all the work and our associates' work, uh, our blog, which is kind of where we live and keep things updated. Uh, Beautiful Together, our nonprofit that's focused on children waiting for families. You'll kind of go out to that Hang website. On, we haven't talked about that at all. We haven't. That's another. I, what's interesting is all these. It sounds like I'm stretched, but I'm actually got, I have things kind of set up mm-hmm. so that it goes. And it's everything's just reiterating. All the tactics are reiterating. Right. Uh, but yeah, Beautiful Together is our nonprofit. It's a 501c3 mm-hmm. supporting. Um, we're, we're basically working to improve the lives of children waiting for families through tangible projects and funds that we have set up. And we're working here in Ethiopia. And our last project was in Syria. Um, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Have it you is. been? Which place? Either one of them. Uh, well, Ethiopia, we're going back for the sixth time in a few weeks. Um, and uh, Syria, this last project was the first project we've done out of, I think, 11 projects now where it didn't involve my photography at all because uh, my kids were like, Mom, don't fly to Syria. Yeah, don't go there. Yeah. Um, but we did. what I did was reach out to photographers on the ground, use their work to help uh, showcase the project we wanted to fund, which was to uh, feed, clothe, and help shelter 100 Aleppo orphans. And we're at over 200 now and going. So oh, good for you. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. You know what? We may have to have you back on another podcast just to talk about the philo- philo- <laughs> philanthropic Third time's a charm. It's been a long week, bud. It's it has been a been long, a long week. week. <laughs> it's been a long, long week. Philanthropic. Yeah, that yeah. would be wonderful. I love talking about that. Yeah, that's an important thing to do, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that wraps up season two of the podcast, and we end with an uh, exclamation point. All-star. Camera lackey. Camera lackey. So to download this podcast and the entire season, you can go to rggedupodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Stitch- Stitcher. Google Play, See, I'm iTunes, the only one. and SoundCloud. You see, it's, it's, it's contagious, week. Rob. Yeah, I know. I know. You've it's good. Got it. Well, again, thank you for coming. We thank appreciate you your time. Thank you, guys. It was really and fun. And best of luck. Thank you. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Capture One Pro 10. With the most reliable tethered workflow, combined with the most robust image processing, Capture One Pro 10 is the choice of working pros. Unlock the potential of this powerful tool by downloading your free 30-day trial at CaptureOne.com. Well, that's all she wrote for this one. Thanks for listening. I get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. Mentorships are dying, technology is advancing, and getting soaked in a darkroom off-fixer is a thing of the past.